BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All black people are leftists. Clarence Thomas is not a leftist. Therefore, Clarence Thomas is not a black people. So goes the logic at the new Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture Museum. According to the Weekly Standard, Clarence Thomas is nowhere to be found. Only One of only two Supreme Court justices has been black in American history, perhaps the court's finest modern thinker, yes, I think even better than Justice Scalia, whose insistence on stare decisis marred the consistency of his originalism. Thomas is a major judicial figure in the history of the United States. There is only one reason he's missing. He's conservative. That's the reason HBO made a full-scale documentary documentary about the discredited Anita Hill charges. It's why the left gets to consistently insist that Thomas is some sort of idiot for not asking questions during oral argument, a useless procedure given that the justices have generally made up their minds already. Even the museum includes items from the Anita Hill debacle, according to the Weekly Standard. They say, quote, inside the museum, Hill and her supporters receive significant attention with photos and quotations, and on the museum's website, you can see a button that reads, I believe Anita Hill. Museum officials conceded to Circa reporter Rafi Williams that Justice Thomas's own story has, quote, very little presence in any of the exhibitions. That's putting it rather generously. This is the sick double standard of the left. If you're a leftist black person, you can commit virtually any sin and withstand it. If you're a prominent conservative black person, you must be memory hold. That's because the left identifies people by group characteristic and insists it is the greatest protector of victimized groups. If certain members of those supposed victim groups refuse to see themselves as victims, and instead they insist on thinking along conservative lines, they must be cast out lest they represent a living testament to the falsity of leftist thought. And so Clarence Thomas disappears. And the same Democratic Party that reams Donald Trump for doubting Barack Obama's point of origin has no problem disappearing Thomas. After all, it's racist to pretend that President Obama isn't authentically African-American, but it's perfectly acceptable to do so to a man born in segregated Georgia on a farm, speaking Gullah as his native tongue, the descendant of American slaves, abandoned by his father, left homeless by a fire, raised by his maternal grandparents. He doesn't think like Obama does, and so he must be excised. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Yes, congratulations to you. If you're wondering why you're watching us here on a Friday, it's because earlier this week was Rosh Hashanah, and that meant that we had to take two days off. So we didn't want to leave you completely bereft this week. And so unbeknownst to me, even yesterday, we had scheduled another show today and made all of our minions and Oompa Loompas come in and participate in the show. So congratulations to me and congratulations to them, but mostly congratulations to you because your day has been made just a little bit more bright or, depending on what I say, just a little bit more depressing. Okay, so we begin today by thanking our sponsors, of course, at Birch Gold. If you are deeply concerned about the direction of the economy, and given the, the new economic reports out today, you have good reason to be. If you're concerned the stock market may be inflated, if you're worried the real estate market may be inflated by the, by the sort of low-interest mortgages that are being handed out like candy by the Fed, then, thanks to low interest rates, then perhaps you need to visit my friends at Birch Gold Group. If you go to Birch Gold Group, they will give you all the information you need to know about investing in precious metals, about how to move your 401k or your stock portfolio into gold. Uh, and they have a 16-page free kit that reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can reinvest from your IRA or 401k into precious metals if that's something that you choose to do. If you want to give them a call, ask all your questions about precious metals, why it's worthwhile to invest, get all those questions answered. Call them at 800 496 
800-496-6663, or go to birchgold.com slash Ben. That's birchgold.com slash Ben. Make sure you use the slash Ben so they know that we sent you and they continue to advertise with us, making possible all of the genius in which you are about to participate. Okay, so... We have a lot coming up today. We're going to do deconstructing the culture. We had to skip that earlier this week, so we'll do that uh, today. And we have it thanks to one of our emailers who insisted that we do a heavy metal version of deconstructing the culture yesterday. Uh, we will do a deconstructing the culture of a corn song today, and it's spelled with a K, which is weird because the word corn isn't spelled with a K. But we will discuss corn and uh, and we'll deconstruct the culture in a little bit. We will also uh, be talking about. Uh, uh, I do have an epic things I like today. Actually, a really great things I like. Uh, that is hilarious that you're going to want to stick around for and, and subscribe to Daily Wire, too, so that you can actually see it because it's sort of a visual joke. But we begin today, we begin today with what Donald Trump has to do in the debate in order to win. So in order for Donald Trump to win in the debate on Sunday, he has to walk a very fine line. On the one hand, he has to, he, he has to make the case that Hillary Clinton is utterly unfit for office. He has to throw her off her game. He has to be aggressive. On the other hand, if he's too aggressive, then he looks crazy, and he looks like he's bullying her. And that's a very fine line to walk for, for a guy who is a hammer, not a scalpel. I've been saying this entire election cycle, Donald Trump is a hammer in search of a nail. Sometimes he hits a nail. Actually, much more often at the beginning of this election cycle, he hit a nail. Now he tends to hit babies and puppies. But he actually needs to be a scalpel, not a sledgehammer. Now, good news. Hillary has provided all sorts of material for him to use in the debate on Sunday. He, there is no shortage of material for Donald Trump to use in the debate on Sunday. So, for example, according to the Wall Street Journal today, quote, Newly disclosed emails show top Obama administration officials were in close contact with Hillary Clinton's nascent presidential campaign in early 2015 about the potential fallout from revelations the former Secretary of State used a private email server. In other words, the Obama White House was coordinating with Hillary about something that the Obama White House was supposed to be investigating. The Obama DOJ was in the middle of a criminal investigation of Hillary's private email server, and the White House was working with Hillary Clinton and the State Department. It's unbelievable. <coughs> the coordination included communications between the White House and the State Department asking then-Secretary of State John Kerry not to talk about the emails. The State Department also told Hillary's lawyers the State Department hadn't told Congress that Hillary did anything wrong at all. So they were coordinating with Hillary this entire time, which is amazing. She was outside the government. They're a government agency. Anybody who thinks there wasn't coordination between the White House and the DOJ and the FBI, at this point, you got to be smoking something to believe that. Second, the FBI notes show that Hillary destroyed documents. The FBI's report actually contains notes from a 2015 interview with an unnamed Office of Information Programs and Services employee. According to those notes, Hillary's people told the IPS that she had 14 boxes of emails to turn over. When the DOJ lawyers arrived to pick up these emails at Hillary's lawyer's offices, how many boxes were there? There were 12. So two questions. One, why don't you just turn over the emails, you know? Like, not the printed versions, like the actual emails. When I, when somebody, if somebody asked me to forward an email, I wouldn't print it out and fax it to them. I'd just forward it to them. They destroyed all the records, though, so they printed them all out, and then apparently they burned two boxes of them. So just wonderful. By the way, the State Department also tried to convince the FBI to relabel documents less classified so that it wouldn't look like Hillary had passed really highly classified material across her server. Third piece of news that Donald Trump should be using in the debate on Sunday. Russia now wants to open bases in Vietnam and Cuba. So Hillary, who is supposed to have given the Russian reset button, she's going to be so tough on Russia. Russia is currently on an expansionist tear, and I mean a tear. They, they, they want to reopen military bases in, in Cuba. They want to reopen military bases in Vietnam. And then beyond that, this is really the story of the day that's going to get no attention whatsoever. 
Russia is now putting short-range missiles in uh, in certain areas that are that are right next to next to NATO allies. So they, they've actually put what they call the Iskender missile system. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. The Iskender missile system, a short-range missile system in Kaliningrad, which is kind of this it's a weird little territory that's Russian territory, but it's not actually contiguous with Russia. It's not connected to Russia. It sort of curls around, and, and Poland is to its south, and Latvia and Estonia are very close by, and Finland is just across a body of water. Uh, and uh, the outgoing president of uh, the, the outgoing president of, of Finland, he is saying now that uh, his name is Tumas Hendrik. He said that recent incidents with planes violating Finnish and Estonian airspace in recent days show that Russia's use of force tactics had reached Estonia's region as well. Sorry, he's the outgoing Estonian Estonian president. And so Estonia is uh, is feeling the pressure. Uh, it's clear that Russia moving Iskander missiles to Kaliningrad was alarming. Uh, they're, they're now obviously moving in offensive directions because they feel like whoever wins this election, they're going to be able to achieve what they want to achieve. They're, they're feeling their oats. They know that Obama's not going to stop them. Uh, and so this is something that, that obviously Trump should hit with. You know, we'll, we'll see if that, if that works or not. Fourth, Aleppo is absolutely collapsing. So what is Aleppo? Aleppo is a city in Syria, Gary Johnson. Aleppo is a city in Syria that has been sort of a battleground between the resistance to Assad and Assad. And the Russian and Syrian forces are now pounding Aleppo. 376 people have been killed in the last couple of weeks. One third of those are children. Kerry is doing nothing. John Kerry is doing nothing. He's threatening to stop speaking with the Russians which I'm sure would be a great relief to them, because who wants to hear John Kerry speak to them? He, he threatened to stop speaking. He also said today that he wants, to, he wants a human rights commission to investigate. Yeah, I'm sure the UN Security Council will get right on that. You know who's on the UN Security Council, gang? Russia. I'm sure Russia's going to get right on investigating Russia. I'm sure that, that's, that's coming next. Fifth story. Terrible jobs numbers. Labor Department released yet another weak jobs report. 156,000 jobs added in September. That's really not a good number. Payroll growth was revised lower by 7,000 jobs. Unemployment rate, go, unemployment rate goes up. Underemployment rate is still 9.7%. So he could mention all these things, and he should mention all of these things. Right? He should spend his time going after Hillary on all these things. Of course, that would require him to know policy. So that's an uphill battle for Trump because he doesn't study and he doesn't really pay attention to this. Unfortunately, Donald Trump, just as of about 10 minutes ago, decided that he was going to revivify the case of the Central Park jogger. The Central Park jogger, for people who don't know this case, a white woman was jogging in Central Park, I believe this is 1989, and, uh, and she was assaulted, allegedly, by five people, six people, like a group of young guys who beat her up, left her in a coma for 12 days and raped her. And the original case, there were six people who were tried, uh, five black, one Hispanic, if, I get the, if, if this is correct, I think it is. All six of them confessed to being involved. All six were convicted. And then in 2002, a guy who was a, li a life convict rapist came out and said he was the one who actually did it, and he did the rape alone. So, and and the, his uh, bodily material matched up with, the, with the, the kit that was on file. And so these guys were released from prison. Now, there still is, to be fair to Trump, there still is some controversy over whether the confessions were coerced, whether the confessions were real, whether there was some level of involvement by these guys. But in the end, there's a $41 million settlement with the, with the Central Park Five, as they were called. So it's five people. Central Park Five, as they were called. And, uh, and they were paid off by the city. For some odd reason, Trump feels the need to revivify this. Now, forget whether Trump is right or wrong for a second, because nobody really knows whether Trump is right or wrong. We do know that the guy who was the actual rapist or at least one of the rapists, as far as we know, the only rapist, as far as we know, that that guy's genetic material was on the woman and that there was no other genetic material connecting these other guys. But put the whole case aside for just a second. 
why is he bringing up an issue that's just going to be a hot button for Hillary to to move him on to in in Sunday night's debate? Why is he why is he opening the door now? He'll, now you know what Hillary's going to do. She's going to say, you know, five guys were exonerated, four black guys, one Hispanic. They were exonerated. They were paid off by the city. And Donald Trump still thinks they're guilty. And you're telling me there's no criminal justice system bias? You're telling me that that there's no racism in the criminal justice system? These guys were exonerated. They're innocent. And Donald Trump is still out there pushing these cases from 1989. It's just it's stupid politics. It's stupid politics. There's so many great things to talk about. It's just not particularly smart. So that's, that's sort of the latest uh, on, the Donald, on the Donald Trump lead up to the debate. And he has to win. He has to win. It's not enough for him to just do okay in this particular debate. He has to walk away the clear victor. It has to be a Mike Pence over Tim Kaine style victory. He has to throw Hillary. And we'll see if he's capable of doing that. Trump, for, for some odd reason, it's, it's, I'm not sure what he's doing. I mean, I could say that most of the time, but I'm really not sure what he's doing in the lead up to this debate. Uh, here, he, yesterday he was speaking, I think this is in uh, Nevada, and, and here he is talking about how he doesn't like getting into the gutter with Hillary Clinton, which comes as a shock to everybody. Yeah, I did hold back. I thought it was just inappropriate to say what I was really thinking I would say. And I held back, I think for, I think for good reason. I think for good reason. I'd much rather have it be on policy. And I didn't like getting into the into the gutter. And so I did hold back. OK, so he doesn't like getting into the gutter. And so he held back. Is he going to hold back on Sunday night? Well, the case that he should hold back is that he doesn't want to look like he's a crazy attack dog. The case he shouldn't is he's got to say something to throw her off her game. Uh, Trump also is sounding off about the media, of course. And he's right. I mean, he says the media's out to get him. By the way, he's in New Hampshire, not Nevada, of course. Here's Trump talking about it. John Harwood was the worst moderator out of all the debates we had. How many did we have, 11 or 12? He was so bad. This guy knows nothing about me. I was so happy. And I saw today that somebody on CNN, the Clinton News Network, who knows nothing about us. You know, they use uh, John King, actually. He's a nice guy. I like him on the maps. He does a good job with the maps. I like him better now than I did a couple of months ago, because a couple of months ago I had no chance. Now all of a sudden that map is getting very red. But John King said, you know, they always have a source. They always have a source. A source within, nobody talks to him. Nobody's talking, because he's like the enemy. He's like the enemy. Okay, so he's, he's lashing out at the media. Again, I don't know that that's the world's worst tactic. I just don't know how it really helps him at this point. And look, not every word that he says is going to be a helpful word. I mean, he's talking at these town halls for an hour apiece, but... I'm not sure what his strategy is on Sunday. I'm not sure he has one. He said yesterday that his strategy is that he doesn't think Hillary Clinton is really doing debate prep. I promise you, Hillary Clinton is doing serious debate prep. He says he's not sure that he should do serious debate prep because, after all, you got to go in and kind of wing it. Uh, there, there was a rumor today uh, that was confirmed that he's pulled out ad money from Florida, Ohio, and North Carolina. Maybe he'll reinvest it. We don't know yet, but that's that's a weird sign for sure. So uh, things are sort of in chaos. He has one last chance to do something big, and that comes on Sunday. Well, we have to break here for people who are watching this live on Facebook. If you want to continue watching it live, go to dailywire.com and subscribe right now. Eight bucks a month gets you a subscription. You get to be part of the Daily Wire team. Watch this live. Be part of the mailbag. I'll respond to you in real time on the air on Thursday. Thursdays when we do the mailbag, you get Andrew Clavin's show live, uh, and there are other goodies that are going to be coming to members in the near future. So make sure to go to dailywire.com and check it out live, the number one conservative podcast in America. Okay, so meanwhile, Hillary Clinton, it's, it's unbelievable that Donald Trump is losing to Hillary Clinton, and the polls right now are not good for Trump. It is a, a crazy thing, a, a truly crazy thing that he's losing to a woman who's this bad at this, and she truly is. 
Hillary Clinton, let me give you an example. Hillary Clinton uh, had a little girl ask her a question at one of her events. Everything for Hillary has to be scripted. It's mandatory that everything that Hillary does is scripted because she's incapable of sticking and moving. She can't really do things on the run, which doesn't, which, which is her problem in this new town hall format. Is she going to be good on her feet or is she going to collapse on her feet? Here is, here's a little girl asking her a question, then we'll explain something about the little girl. At my school, body image is a really big issue for girls my age. I see with my own eyes the damage Donald Trump does when he talks about women and they look. As the first female president, how would you undo some of that damage and help girls understand that they are so much more than just what they look like? Oh, thank you. Spectacular question because it's not really a question. It's really an attack by a little girl on Donald Trump. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, the Queen of Hearts says. And Elizabeth Banks sits there and, and cheers on because yay abortion. Okay, so a couple of things to know. So her father, according to the New York Times, her father asked her, helped her form the question that had so excited Mrs. Clinton. She's also a little actress. Okay, she's like it's 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 she's she's listed on like IMDb. Like she she's or she she she's, she acts in all of these kind of local productions apparently. Uh, she's a child actress uh, and that's that's been revealed from her Facebook page. Meanwhile, it turns out who's her daddy? Her daddy is Democratic State Senator Dalen Leach. He's the chairman of the Senate Democratic Campaign Campaign Committee. Leach endorsed Clinton over Bernie Sanders during the primary, saying, at a time when the Republican presidential candidate seemed to be stoking the flames of fear and anger, I have never been more proud to support Hillary Clinton for president. Yeah, I'm sure that this was totally spontaneous. Everything in the Hillary Clinton campaign has to be scripted, including her exchanges with Steve Harvey. Every single element has to be scripted. And so all her campaign now comes down to is scripted exchanges and people shouting about why vaginas make people better qualified to be president of the United States. Although, let, it be, let me just remind you, for all you leftists in the audience, for all you people who are watching on the left, let me remind you, not all women have vaginas. Let's not be cisgender. Dick Durbin makes the vagina case, the pro-vagina case, though. He says Americans just don't want a woman. The reason that he, she's having trouble is because Americans just don't want a, a woman to be president, Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois. Uh, you also have uh, the fact that isn't articulated very often. Here is a woman aspiring to the highest office of the land. And there are some people who will never say the words, but they aren't buying it. They can't swallow it. It's something that is... Oh, there's a little... definitely a latent sexism in, uh, out there. There's no question about so it. So you've got that. That's an overlay that nobody would have guessed in this campaign. No one would have guessed that overlay in this campaign. No one would have guessed that no one in the world would have guessed that people would be talking about Hillary Clinton being the first major party female candidate. No one ever would have. Okay, except for all of us who have been functioning as human beings for the last 20 years. No one knew that was going to happen. What a surprise. This is my surprised face. Okay, so Hillary's got nothing. But Trump... You know, it has less than nothing at this point. He's got to dig himself out of a hole. All of this sets the uh, all of this sets the stage for some very bad stuff. If Donald Trump loses, now Donald Trump Donald Trump may not lose. Maybe Donald Trump wins. Maybe Donald Trump pulls a, a last rabbit out of that out of that giant hat, and suddenly he does a great debate. He comes back and he wins. But let's assume for a second that Donald Trump loses. Over the last couple of days, we talked yesterday about Sean Hannity going after Megyn Kelly, and Megyn Kelly saying that Sean Hannity was flacking for Trump, which clearly is true. Uh, and uh, and today, Megyn Kelly and Sean Hannity sort of made up. They tweeted out a picture of themselves together saying, we're Irish, it's complicated, hashtag friends. Good. Good. Okay, look, good. If it, for whatever it's worth, I, that, that's, I'm, I'm glad that that's happening. I think that it is better that we all get along, because after this election, 
election cycle, we're all going to have to get along. Chuck Todd asks some questions. He says, you know, if, if Trump has another bad debate, the GOP could publicly split. There could be a bunch of people who sort of walk away from, from Donald Trump if he has another bad debate. What do they feel like will change the dynamic of the race, especially if you're Donald Trump? Well, I think if you're Donald Trump, just any normalized debate is going to uh, at least stop, uh, you know, stop Clinton's momentum a little bit. But I think it's it, you listen to the subtle signals that congressional Republicans were sending yesterday. A few blind quotes here or there. You heard if Donald Trump doesn't have a good night on, on Sunday and it's an, and it's more if it's similar to the first debate, then you may start seeing the down ballot exodus in some form. Is it, uh, is it just candidates proactively running away, whatever it is, but it, you, set, you, you now have the sense that Trump's, in, and we've been here before with him, but one of these do or die moments with the Republican Party, mm. with the McConnell, where if it's, a, if, it's, if it's a debate performance like the first night, uh, it may be unrecoverable and you may see the party uh, publicly split. Okay, well, I don't know if the party's going to publicly split. I think they'll hold it together through the election. But it does raise the question, what happens if Trump loses after all of this is over? Now, one of the, this, this election has basically come down to, for people on the, on the right, you know, this has come down to, and I discussed this at length yesterday on the podcast, but this has come down to, I think, in the end, a basic question. Do you think this is the last election, or do you not think this is the last election? Do you think that there's a possibility that Republicans come back and win in four years with someone who's better than Donald Trump? Or do you sacrifice that possibility in favor of Trump is the best we can do and we better get it now because otherwise we're totally screwed. Hillary's president and she ruins everything and there's no way Republicans ever get elected again. Ann Coulter sort of articulates this perspective last night. She says this election is the end of Western civilization if it goes the wrong way. Well, I'm not really interested in day-to-day -day politics, but this is, as you say, bigger than day-to-day. -day. I've mostly written, you know, the truth about Jill McCarthy, the truth about Darwinism, that sort of thing, not, not particularly involved in elections, but this, this will determine the survival of Western civilization. Um, and it is, it is because, of, because of cultures and demographics. Well, those are people bringing particular cultures with them. Um, it's, it's taken centuries to create uh, the freest, most prosperous, um, fairest uh, societies in the world. And there have been lots of studies about this, um, as you probably know, out of especially Samuel Huntington, um, some professors at Harvard, at UCLA, you never hear about, about this, um, so that the left can go on. Uh, persuading Americans, um, and I suppose Canadians and British and so on, that um, American culture is the worst culture in the world, and the sooner we replace ourselves, the better off we are. We are, we are somehow oppressing um, you know, these throngs of the third world that are now being brought in to replace us. Okay, so I have sympathy for the argument that, that multicultural is not sympathy. I agree with the argument that multiculturalism is a blight on Western civilization because if you have cultures that are opposed Western civilization, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. However, the idea that Hillary Clinton's election is going to end it all, that's really the, you know, that's, that's really the break point. And I understand both sides. I understand people who say that it's going to end it all, but I've heard that every four years my entire life. In four years, we'll hear it again. And all of the, I think a lot of the people who say that Western civilization is over, you might as well pack up shop and go home, America's done. It's not America anymore. You have a lot of people I respect believe this. None of them will be quitting their commentariat jobs on November 9th if Donald Trump loses. 
right? They'll all stick around. So even they don't believe this deep down in their heart. They believe that there's still a fighting chance and they have a chance to make a difference. If they didn't believe that, I assume they would quit and go off to the mountain somewhere and prepare for, for the bunker mentality. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think everyone really knows that November 9th, yes, things could be worse. Things could always be worse. Hillary Clinton could be an awful, awful president. But that does not absolve us of our duty to fight back. And it does not mean that we don't have a chance of winning if we do fight back. And that is what I'm hoping for November 9th. If things go downhill, if things go downhill, there's only one thing that's going to guarantee the dominance of the left four years from now. Because let's face it, if Hillary Clinton's elected, she's going to be unpopular. Nobody likes her now. She stinks. She's awful at everything she touches. She's unpopular. She's unlikable. She's annoying. She's corrupt. She's greedy. She's selfish. She's nasty. All these things are true. The idea that she's going to be some sort of world-beating president with a Republican Congress, I just don't buy it. I don't see it. What I see is a woman who's going to be very deeply unpopular from the first day she steps into office, will remain unpopular, or likely, just thanks to the vicissitudes of the economy, to undergo some sort of, of brutal recession in the near future, because the cycle is usually, you know, every... 10 years, there's a recession. You know, there was one in 2000, there was one in 2008, there was one in 1991. Every eight to 10 years, there's a recession. We're due. So that means that if it hits during Hillary Clinton's cycle, while she's, while she's you know, president, then that hurts her too. So you know, I think that there's, there's a lot to be optimistic about, even if Hillary Clinton is elected president. But that's going to require us to do one thing. And what that's going to require us to do is unify and stop blaming each other. So I can already see everybody is, is getting set to blame each other after this election cycle. And listen, I've been a part of it, and, and I apologize for having been a part of it. I, I think that everybody's been a part of the kind of blame each other for the Trump phenomenon, blaming people for voting stupidly in the primaries. Look, I think people voted wrong in the primaries. I'm not going to lie about that. But I understand why people voted for Trump in the primaries. They were angry. Trump was the avatar of that anger. Trump was the only person on stage who seemed to be reflecting that anger back at them. He was the only one who seemed to be fighting the the kind of political incorrectness uh, that, that, that people see in the culture. He seemed like the only one who was willing to say things that he ticked off the right people. Like, I get the, I get the rationales. I don't agree with them. I think they're wrong. I understand the rationales. If we're going to move together forward after this election cycle, the people who didn't vote for Trump and the people who voted for Trump and the people who reluctantly voted for Trump, we're all going to have to stand together to oppose Hillary Clinton and hopefully come up with somebody who's better next time. That first requires us to acknowledge that this is Donald Trump's fault. We need someone better next time. We can't have another Donald Trump. This is on Trump. If Trump loses to Hillary Clinton, a deeply flawed candidate, the most deeply flawed candidate of my lifetime, if Donald Trump loses to Hillary Clinton, that's not on me. That's not on Sean Hannity. That's not on the people who, it's not even on Laura Ingram, who I think you know, really pushed him in an unfair way. It's not on any of those people. In the end, it's only on one person, and that is Donald Trump, because it's the, candidate's, it's the candidate's job to garner support. His job is to earn my vote. If he didn't earn my vote, he didn't do his job. My job is not to vote for him. My job is to be conservative and vote for the candidate who I feel not only best reflects the principles, but the person who's best capable of forwarding those principles. So when we talk about Republican unity, Everybody's going to have to look inside their own house. Everybody's going to have to look back at themselves and say, what did we do to bring ourselves to this sort of impasse? I think a lot of the Trump voters are going to have to look and say, did we make the most intelligent decision to channel our anger, our understandable anger at the status quo, a feeling that Congress doesn't do anything, that the Republicans sell out? Did we do the best thing by pushing somebody who is a career Democrat, who doesn't know anything about policy and just says absurd things because he's famous? Was that the wisest decision? Conservatives are going to have to stop acting as though every single battle is the end of the republic because it's that mentality that leads to the idea you got to back the guy the the only one who can win the one who's going to punch the hardest you got to back the guy who's going to forestall the apocalypse even if he is the second worst thing to the apocalypse not everything is the apocalypse things are bad things are really bad i'm not bsing you 
that doesn't mean that that every single moment is the moment when America is over. It isn't. Okay, America's getting worse. We're on the wrong path. And yes, we're headed toward a cliff. And that cliff is coming. But we're not quite over the cliff yet. If we were over the cliff, there'd be no reason for me to do the podcast or for you to listen. Okay, that's what conservatives have to do. We need to recognize that, yes, our principles are right, but we don't have to suggest that every single hill is the hill where the republic dies. We have to be willing to die on every hill, but we, we, can't, we can't give up ground to the left. But we have to stop with the crisis mentality that suggests that every single battle is the end of the republic. And so if we lose, we're all going to die. And, and let's just get the guy who can win, even if he doesn't represent us. Meanwhile, the establishment, which I think is largely responsible for the rise of Trump, by not listening to its own base, by scorning its own base, by presenting everything was hunky-dory, by caving to Democrats, by making deals, they're going to have to start listening to the outrage of, of the American public. And they're going to have to start recognizing that go along to get along because things are basically okay isn't accurate for the vast majority of Americans. We don't think things are okay. And conservatives don't think that. And Trump voters don't think that. Nobody thinks that. So that's all stuff that we have to do, all of us. We all have to look into our own houses and figure and clean up our own houses. But we also have to have sympathy for people who are trying to clean up their house. And we all have to acknowledge that we're trying to move in the right direction. We're going to need some unity after this election is over, no matter which way it goes. But that's particularly true if Trump loses. We're going to have to have a unified movement so we can come back in four years. And we also have to recognize something. If we just put it on the candidate, we're going to be better off. John McCain lost in 2008 because he wasn't a good candidate. In 2010, Republicans united, and they elected a Republican Congress. Now, the Republican Congress didn't do enough to do what we wanted them to do, but that was a victory. In 2014, won a sweeping victory after recognizing Mitt Romney was not the right guy. Mitt Romney did not do a good job as a candidate. We can either sit around smacking each other and you know, continue to waste our efforts in the House and the Senate in 2018 if Trump loses, or we can recognize that we're still in the fight of our lives here and that Donald Trump was not the right guy to lead us forward. And the truth is, it's hard to find the right guy to lead us forward. It's, it's hard to find a leader because human beings are inherently flawed, all of them, including Ronald Reagan. Everybody is flawed. We tend to overlook their flaws if they win. But you know, that, that it's harder to find the, the presidential candidate than it is to, to win Congress. But or to unify around a Republican basic ideology ticket. That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be unifying around the ideology, recognize our own flaws, try to fix those for the future, get rid of the crisis mentality for, for conservatives, or at least minimize it a little bit. Recognize that there is a crisis if you're somebody in the establishment, and if you're a Trump supporter, if you're somebody who voted Trump to burn it all down, recognize that burn it all down is not a responsible response to the system. The proper response to the system is to destroy the parts of it that are bad and maintain the parts of it that are good. The guy who just pledges to go in there and break everything up with a hammer is probably the least likely guy to actually do it. And by the way, if he does destroy everything with a hammer, then you're left with nothing and nothing and, and no plan for building. Okay. All of that said, speaking of somebody who's absolutely destroying the country, President Obama is having himself a grand old time over at the White House. People missed this because President Obama has basically turned the White House now into a gay and lesbian culture lecture hall from a college campus. And so he had bisexual celebration day, this is, I guess, a week and a half ago or two, uh, in, inside the White House, because every sexual behavior must now be, and sec every sexual drive must now be celebrated. Uh, I very much look forward to polygamous behavior day at the White House. One day I look forward to, to you know, furry porn at the White House, we, we, we should celebrate every sort of sexual behavior that's consensual, after all. I mean, if you want to have sex with, a, with a, an inanimate object, that's your prerogative. So this is some of the stuff that's now happening at the People's House, right? The White House used to be known as the People's House. Uh, here is some of the stuff happening at the White House. Here is a bisexual Native American praying to the two-spirit. Today, we are here at the White House, and I call upon the ancestors 
to witness our presence and for the great spirit, Wankantanka, to guide our words and thoughts so that we can speak true and strong. Okay, and he so he prays to the he prays to the the, the bisexual and then he talks about how, how bisexuality in Native American culture is wonderful. That wasn't even the most ridiculous moment. The most ridiculous moment was this bisexual poet reading her poetry about bisexuality and capitalism and this is happening at the White House. At the White House. This isn't happening at your local community college. And this isn't happening over at the local homeless shelter. This is happening at the White House hosted by President Obama. Bag Lady Manifesto. Hashtag say her name. Hashtag Black Trans Lives Matter. This is a transgender person. A by deepened the way. understanding of race and culture requires the following, and then some. Truth telling for immortality, a recognition of historical trauma, an honest assessment of capitalism and its inherent violence. Don't wall me in, Pilate said to the updated finger. What? They could perform all that jazz. What? Carmen said, burning black arts is a sin. We do what we do. We do what they don't know. We know what they don't know. Wow. Blocks of art, talks, art, walks, art, dances on needles, all scratchy like a, a 78 wax recording of Bessie Smith. Oh, yeah. Lions sleeping, dread locked hair with gray streaks of wisdom, quickened with the blues. Brother, ah, yes, sister, brother, the blues. Person, am I blue? Hand over one eye. Okay, the good one. Am I blue? Am I green? Am I the big purple green machine? I mean, I don't know what this is. I don't know why it's at the White House. I'm just, I'm, I'm wildly confused by what this has to do with enriching the culture of the United States. Capitalism and its inherent violence. Okay, socialism is about the idea that the government gets to come with a gun and steal crap from you. Capitalism and its inherent violence. And then, and then we get this bizarre poem about fingers and you don't know what I don't know, but no one knows what I know and the no-no. And here's my nose. I'm just, what? <laughs> okay, all right. Thank you, President Obama, for really enriching the country with this sort of culture. Uh, yesterday was National Poetry Day, so some of this has, has resurfaced. It is sort of sad what's happened to poetry. If you, if you, like Andrew Clavin is a big devotee of poetry. I'm not a poetry guy. Clavin's the kind of guy who reads poems out loud on his podcast. So if that's your sort of thing, then make sure that you listen to his show. But it's it, but the poems that he reads are usually pretty good. They're not this insane babbling nonsense. And the poems he reads actually have meaning and words that are nice and not. The, the stream of consciousness musings of crazy people. So this is this is just this is, uh, yeah. thank you, President Obama, for making America a great place. Okay, time for some things I like, things I hate, and then we're going to deconstruct culture a little bit. So things I like. So I, I don't think I've done this one before. There's a there's a series called uh, there's a series called the Expanse series. It's on uh, Sci-Fi Network now, and uh, and the book uh, is uh, the first book in that series called Leviathan Wakes. Uh, by James S. A. Corey. James S. A. Corey is actually two different dudes, uh, and they they write these books together, and they're uh, they they're they're fun. I mean, I won't say that, that they're masterful literature um, because they're not, but uh, but uh, they they are fun reads. They're interesting reads. They hold your attention. Uh, they have some kind of cool ideas. The basic notion is that human beings have ranged off into space and they've built 
they've built bases on Mars and on the Moon, and they've built bases all the way out in kind of the far reaches of the universe uh, of the solar system. But they're breaking down into various groups. The Martians are sort of at war with the people from Earth, and the people in the in the, the belt, what they call the belt around Jupiter, uh, those people are at war with the Martians. So it's 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 really it's it's an interesting it's an interesting. Uh, and it, it is kind of like Game of Thrones, and that there's sort of an existential threat that threatens all these people while they're at war with each other at the same time. Um, but it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a whole series of books. I'm not sure how many they're going to go. I know they've written five at this point. Uh, I'm in the middle of, of three, uh, and uh, and they're they're definitely they hold your attention. Okay, other things that I like. So this one is going to be hard for you to understand if you're just listening to the podcast, which is why you really need to subscribe at DailyWire.com because this is a, a joke that you sort of need to see. This is one of my favorite internet videos, um, and it was sent to me by the aforementioned poet Andrew Clavin. Uh, and it's, uh, it is Steve Harvey, uh, who is the host of Family Feud. And you'll see all the, all the people giving answers about sex and genitalia. And all this video is is reaction shots of Steve Harvey and fitting music as he realizes that Western civilization is dead. Steve Harvey, we got a good one for you today. Fart! Flatulating. Passing gas. Fart! Flatulating. Fart! Fart! Look at name a kind of ball that doesn't bounce. Well, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to say maybe men's private <laughs> 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 folks you have to see the look on his face in order for this, this joke to work your wife cut in hand. his tallywhacker something you like to watch your wife do? Uh, me. <laughs> it's magnificent. This whole video is magnificent. It goes on for like four minutes like this. It's just... Man can't <laughs> This people's... <laughs> Man <laughs> oh, it's spectacular! Just the the reaction shots of Steve Harvey, which are which are supposed to be kind of funny. Like I can't believe she said that, but when you put that music over it, it looks like he's come to the existential conclusion that he's wasted his entire life and he's about to die. It's really spectacular. So you need to check that out. Okay, other things that I like. So if you haven't been watching, there's this entire uh, series of apparently scary clowns who are showing up all around the United States now because 2016 needed to get worse. So they're like, what can we do? We already killed Harambe. What can we do? Like, let's get all the scary clowns from it. <laughs> let's make them prey on children. So now, I do love this. This group in Arizona has decided that they're planning a peace walk, a Clown Lives Matter peace walk. And in response to the social media frenzy about creepy clowns in Arizona, this, this woman said that, that she's getting all sorts of flack because she called it Clown Lives Matter. The New York Times and CNN have been calling. She said, this is a peaceful walk to show clowns are not psycho killers. We want the public to feel safe and not afraid. So come out, bring the family, meet a clown, get a hug. And uh, participants were invited to dress up like clowns. Uh, so uh, it's uh, so clown lives matter. I, I I love it. It's it's so spectacular because who says clown lives don't matter? I think that this is cl uh, this is clownist. 
It's clownist. I mean, it, like, was anyone suggesting it would be okay to go around killing clowns? It's okay to go around killing clowns. No, it's not okay to go around killing clowns. You said that. No, you can't go around killing clowns. <laughs> but <laughs> I do love that Stephen King tweeted out that people should stop being scared of clowns. It's your fault we're all scared of clowns, Stephen King. What did you do? You wrote it, okay, with the creepy clown that hangs out under the bridge and then murders children? That's your fault, idiot. Okay, there are some things that I like. Okay, some time for some things that I hate. Let's do it. Okay, so Ben & Jerry's has now released a new statement. Now, Ben & Jerry's is a real leftist company. The two owners of it are, are socialists, which is hilarious because they're bajillionaires because they make ice cream. Uh, and uh, I do love the fact that Bernie Sanders in the primaries, he asked, why do we have to have 45 different types of deodorant? I don't know. Why does Ben & Jerry's have to have 50 different types of flavor? Right? And they, they supported Bernie Sanders in, the, in his debacle of a run. And, uh, and so Ben & Jerry's has now released a statement about Black Lives Matter. Uh, which makes perfect sense because what you really when you, when you want to hear about Black Lives Matter, what you really want is two elderly white guys who live in legitimately the safest state in the union, Vermont. Right? They're, they're by the way, there are like five black people in Vermont. Okay, Vermont is one of the whitest states in the union. Uh, just just to point out that that you know Ben and Jerry are not seeing a lot of crime and run-ins with with black criminals uh, in Vermont. They, here's the statement they put out: We believe that saying Black Lives Matter is not to say that the lives of those who serve in law enforcement community don't. We respect and value the commitment to our communities those in law enforcement make. We respect the value of every one of their lives. But we do believe that, whether black, brown, white, or blue, our nation and our very way of life is dependent on the principle of all people being served equal justice under the law. And it's clear the effects of the criminal justice system are not colorblind. Okay, the very last sentence here is so idiotic. The effects of the criminal justice system are not colorblind? The effects of the criminal justice system should not be colorblind. The administration of the criminal justice system should be colorblind. The effects should be color. The, the effects, the, the effects should just be what the effects are. I mean, if, if the implication is that the effects should be colorblind, meaning an equal number of blacks proportionately are in prison compared to whites, that's not that's not a criminal justice system. That's a racial apportionment system. Now, the fact is that the administration of the criminal justice system should be colorblind. People who commit the same crime should go to jail for the same amount of time if they have the same criminal history. But at the end of the day, the same number of people from different groups are not going to go to jail. That's silly. As I said to Sally Cohen, and she didn't have a good response for it, what percentage of people in prison are male? It's like 95% of people. Is that because the criminal justice system is sexist against men? Are the effects of the criminal justice system reverse misogynist? Just, Just so silly. Okay, other things... What was that? Misandrist. Misandrist, thank you. Uh, other than, wow, well done there for finally making his salary at least partially <laughs> worth our while. There's Mathis sounding off with it with a good word choice. That, that will be the only time that ever happens in your life. Celebrate it, put it on your epitaph. All right, so other things that I hate in this, uh, on, on today's show. So uh, the, the Daily Show. Uh, is making fun of Jesse Waters. Jesse Waters did this ridiculous video, and it is. It's a ridiculous video for Fox News where he went around Chinatown and basically just did stereotypes about Asian people. And it's not funny, and it's stupid, uh, and it's it's borderline racist for sure. Uh, and uh, The Daily Show uh, did had a correspondent. They sent a correspondent out there to, to mock this, and, and I'll explain why this is so dumb in a second. So we sent Waters down to New York's Chinatown to sample political opinion. Okay, first of all, let me get this straight. They say China in the debate, so you go to Chinatown in New York. So when they mention Mexico, do you send someone to Taco Bell? (laughs) Chinatown is nothing like China. They got nothing to do with each other. That's like if they brought up women's rights, so I decided to go over to Fox News to get some opinions. (laughs) 
Now, as dumb as that premise is, it is nothing compared to the idiocy that followed. And by the way, we haven't added anything to this. This is the original footage from Fox News. Am I supposed to bow to say hello? I like these watches. Are they hot? JC Penny 398. Who are you going to vote for? Clinton's wife. Clinton's wife has a name. What is it? Oh, man. I'd forget it. Snap out of it. Do you know karate? Yeah, I know. Hit my hand. Oh, that's the spot. Is it the year of the dragon? Rabbit? No, it's actually the year of go f yourself. <laughs> what the hell was that? How was that on the news? In fact, how was that even on TV? Where the f did this come from? I mean, everyone's been wondering who'd be the target of 2016's worst racism. I didn't even know Asians were in the running. Oh, and by the way, if you're gonna be racist, at least get your stereotypes right, you ignorant sack of shit. Karate isn't Chinese, it's Japanese. And you're doing it in a Taekwondo studio, which is Korean. If you wanna come at Chinese people, make fun of China's high pollution, or the fact that they censor most of the internet, which in this case might actually be a good thing, since no person from China will ever have to watch your I garbage. I actually don't disagree with a lot of what this guy is saying. The part that I think is hilarious is that comedy, if Jesse Waters' routine had appeared on Comedy Central, everybody would just ignore it. Right, because it would be on Comedy Central. So the problem with Comedy Central and what they've done with the news is they've merged comedy and the news, and then they pretend that it's all one. Jesse Waters' routine on Fox News is much closer to what they do on Comedy Central than it is to normal news. And everybody who watches Jesse Waters' segment on O'Reilly knows this. I mean, they know that, that Jesse Waters' routine on Bill O'Reilly's show is not meant to be Brett Baer. It's not meant to be Brett Hume. It's not meant to be Shep Smith, even. Although Shep Smith has some joking material of his own. The, the fact is that what, the, what Comedy Central has done is they've merged news and comedy in such a way that it's impossible to tell them apart. Young people use Jon Stewart or used Jon Stewart as their source of news while he was still on the air. They used Stephen Colbert as their source of news. They merged comedy and news, and then they're objecting when somebody merges comedy and news. Now, I'll, I'll be the first to say, I think that's really crappy comedy. I think it's racial stereotypes up the wazoo. I think it's ugly. I don't like it. I think it's stupid. I think it's, I think it's ignorant. You know, All the things that you can say about this segment, I think that's what it is. That said, if it were on Comedy Central, this guy would probably be laughing at it because it was on Comedy Central. And, and you can hear he kind of slides it in there. He says, What's this even doing on a news channel? Well, except that it was in a non-news segment. I mean, anybody who thinks that Jesse Waters is like a news guy is, is, has not watched Jesse Waters ever. Okay, so that's, that's my critique of Comedy Central. I, yes, I don't like the Jesse Waters segment. I think it's ridiculous. That said, I think that Comedy Central criticizing it for merging news and opinion and, and racial stereotypes and comedy, has, have they ever watched their own network? Have they ever seen it? I mean, that's what Comedy Central does on a regular, regular basis. They do it all the time. Okay, now let's do some deconstructing the culture. Alrighty, so deconstructing the culture. Normally we do this earlier in the week, but obviously it was Rosh Hashanah, and we were celebrating the new year, and obviously the new year has gotten off to a stellar start, gang. Thanks so much to all of you. Um, but it did, but nonetheless, uh, we, I had a request yesterday in the mail bag. Would would I please do uh, deconstructing the culture of heavy metal? Um, now I will be the first to admit, heavy metal is not my forte. 
Of course, pop music isn't my forte either, and neither is rap, and I do those every every single week. So I can't really. So whatever. I mean, that's the way it is. Uh, if I have to ask about death metal, then Austin is always here to guide me in in the right direction because apparently he likes Ramstein. We, we played a little bit of that earlier, and he was rocking out uh, like the Aryan Brotherhood member he apparently is. So the so in any case, the uh, the the one that we are choosing for today, I think, is number three on the heavy metal on the heavy metal charts. Uh, is by Corn. Now I want to. It's called Rotting in Vain. Now I want to just point out that every kind of genre has its own sin that it likes to bask in. It has its own milieu. It likes to bit. Pop is all about sex. It's all about sex. It's the only thing anybody cares about in pop is sex and how to get over it or how to get it or why you're upset about it or why it makes you happy. The only thing that people care about in pop music anymore is sex. Not love. Not emotion. Just sex. Right. That's all they care about. And then you move over to rap, and all they care about is is violence and crime and sex and drugs. Those are the things that they care about. You go over to heavy metal, and what they care about is pain and suffering and death. All three of these all three of these genres are these things in the absence of God. So pain and suffering and death become meaningful in the presence of a religious of a religious belief, right? You believe that death has a meaning and life has a meaning if there's something beyond you and beyond this plane. What what heavy metal seems to suggest is that pain is is something to revel in and suffer in and enjoy in and of itself. It's sort of the mentality people have about Halloween, the people who are really into kind of the dark side of Halloween, where like, I don't have to be scared of death if I mock death and if I involve myself in death every day. If I become a part of death, then death can't scare me. Death scares you. I mean, you're lying. Anybody who says death isn't scary is lying to you. Death, of course, is scary for religious people just like irreligious people. But... There's this, there's this notion that pain and death are worth kind of wallowing. Suffering is, is ennobling, but not ennobling because you're doing anything useful just in and of itself because you're going to live. It makes you deep to suffer. It makes you deep to be ensconced in, in the serious things. We're not going to be frivolous. We're going to talk about death all day. Death and pain. That's what we're into. And then in pop, it's like, okay, we don't need God. We don't need relationships. We just want to get in, we just want to get laid because, after all, that's all that matters in life is what my body does. My body ain't going to stop moving, and let's get that dance beat going and the body won't stop moving until we're 40 and the knees creak and then the life is basically over and everybody who's over 40 doesn't listen to pop music and then you get rap and rap is do whatever you want so long as it is opposed to the generalized perception of decent behavior and proclaim that it is empowering in some way so this is the problem with all modern music all modern music now does not uphold anything of value and that's an overgeneralization. There are some songs, of course, that, that do not do this. But those are the general kind of descriptions of the various genres of, of modern music. They don't, they don't uphold beauty. They don't uphold truth. They uphold wallowing in one aspect of human life without any spirituality or meaning attached to it. So, this is, so that's, why, that's how you end up with a song called Rotting in Vain by Korn, spelled with a K, which doesn't make any sense because Korn is actually spelled with a C and is delicious. So here is Korn with a K. The song is Rotting in Vain. Oh, hey, look, it's the guy from Braveheart. And he's got a weird cocaine nail, okay. It's, it's Edgar Allan Poe with a guitar. And he's looking all creepy. And then he puts on an oxygen mask. And then Korn suddenly appears in his apartment and he's breathing really hard. And things look terrible, and there's a bathtub full of leaves, and a guy in a bathtub full of leaves, which is not going to clean him in any way. And then they're rocking hard, and somebody busting through cement, which honestly is not good for your elbows. Be angry if you just cry. Your tears are 
apparently there's a merch button. And there's a bird. And there's a giant cloth. And they have really weird hair that they need to wash more often, but it won't ever happen because they're bathing in a bathtub full of leaves. So... If you enjoy this sort of thing, if this is your sort of thing, if you think this is grand music, oh, look, a skull. If you think this is grand musical content, then, you know, have at it. But here's what they're, here's the actual lyric. I wouldn't be angry if you just effing cry. Your tears would arouse me, reflect, refreshing my supply. See, suffering makes you stronger, and your suffering makes me stronger. Suffering is something in which to revel, because suffering is what makes us deep and worthwhile. The more we suffer, the more worthwhile we are, because we understand the existential angst of being out here, and things are brutal, and so I'm angry about it, and I live in a crappy apartment with pictures of old people on the walls. Okay, it says that suffering is fading. I scream into the sky. Repulsion invades me. I say goodbye. And that makes you deep, because th these, are, these are like the creepy goths in high school who would get a date by just sitting there and brooding. And there'd be some chick be like, he must be deep because he's brooding. It's like, no, he's not deep because he's brooding. He needs to get a life and figure out some, some interests outside of, outside of drawing pictures of skulls. Uh, the chorus is, digging deep inside of me, getting past this agony, I can't seem to get away, another day rotting in vain. So, okay, if you're rotting in vain, if, it's, it's, if things are really that crappy, you might want to look for a solution. Now, you could do that. You could look for a solution. Or you could just revel in your own pain and suffering because it makes you awesome. <laughs> There's part of this where it's just, I love this. In the lyrics, it says, I can't take this. And then it says, scatting. And I wondered when I read the lyrics originally, is it like Ella Fitzgerald suddenly appears and starts scatting? <laughs> or is it just them going, oh, is that bad? And then it says, I can't F this. I can't fake this. Digging deep inside of me, getting past this agony. It's all about you, right? It's in, the, in the end, it's all about you and your suffering. There's no element of what matters to other people. In fact, their suffering makes you happier. It makes you stronger. If you would just effing cry, it would make me feel better. I drink your tears. It, it sounds like, first of all, every one of these singers sounds like Alex Jones is doing the vocals. But it's, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's this kind of this horror show. And I understand that some of it is done half in jest. Some of it is done, I assume, half in jest. People don't take this fully seriously. They just think it's kind of funny and they think it's interesting and it's Halloween-y. And there are people who into this sort of thing. But if this is what you ensconce, there's no way to watch five of these videos in a row without walking out and being depressed. I mean, there's just no way to do it. It's depressing stuff. And it's meant to be depressing because the more depressed you are, the more deep you are. And the more you've found the meaning of life and at the center of life is a rootless nihilism. It's just an empty bag and there's nothing in it. No soul, no meaning, nothing. Just people in a crappy apartment breaking through cement floors and screaming at each other. If that's what you think of life, then let me just suggest that you find a better way of life. That's all. Find a better way. And if you listen to pop music... Don't listen to the lyrics. Find a better way of life. If you listen to rap music, don't listen to lyrics. Find a better way of life. That is the find a better way of life is the theme of today's deconstructing the culture because this just not this, does this look like a series of happy people to you? Does anyone look at these people and say, God, I wish I was living like the people in this music video? This looks great. This just looks awesome. And uh, the only good thing about this music video, so far as I can tell, is that uh, the, is that the the one of the crazy people from from Braveheart is still alive and in it. So that's that's exciting. Okay, uh, isn't that guy in Braveheart the guy with the scar on his face? Uh, no, nobody else gets this. Okay, or is he? In, uh, uh, he might also be in Michael Collins. Uh, it doesn't matter. Okay, so we're, we finally have actually reached the end of the week. The end of the week has been reached, uh, obviously, because now I'm just speaking nonsense. So that means that on Sunday, go to DailyWire.com for our live coverage of this final debate. This final—it's not the final debate. There's one more after this. But if Trump doesn't show up, 
It's the end of this election cycle. Uh, so everything rides on this debate. We will be live covering it. We'll be live blogging about it. It'll be all sorts of tons of fun. And so show up, be there at dailywire.com, become a subscriber at dailywire.com, and have yourself a merry little weekend. We will see you on Monday, and we'll see you Sunday night at dailywire.com. <laughs>We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.